Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Get those earbuds in there nice and tight. Turn it up a little bit and scooch that fat ass of yours up to the edge of your seat. Because I think you know what time it is. Episode 52, people. Long time in the making. If you're thinking about the NBA, maybe you're thinking about number 52, Buck Williams. There was a solid list of players who have worn number 52 in the NBA's history. But Buck Williams wore the jersey for all 17 seasons. Williams' numbers looked lower than they actually were because towards the end of his career, he became more of a role player. Though in his career, he averaged 12.8 points, 10 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 0.8 blocks, 0.8 steals on 54.9% shooting, 66.4% from the free throw line. And it was even one-time rookie of the year. Quite impressive from a young Buck Williams if you're going to go to the NFL, number 52, um, really none other would come to mind than the one and only Ray Lewis, linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens from 1996 to 2012. He was the face of the Baltimore Ravens for 17 seasons. Ray Lewis is probably the greatest middle linebacker in NFL history. He was named the Defensive Player of the Year in 2000 and 2003 and led the Ravens to the Super Bowl titles in 2000 and 2012. Lewis wasn't just a tackling machine, though. He collected 41.5 sacks, 31 interceptions, and 19 forced fumbles during his astound, storied career. If you're thinking about number 52 in the NHL, a couple good options, but there was this guy really ran away with it. Number 52, Adam Foote. For some reason, I thought he was number four, but I always confused Adam Foote and Rob Blake. Kind of similar nail gun style of approach of just old school defense. But Adam Foote wore 52. Um, he wore it for the Quebec Nordiques from 1991 to 95. Then with the Colorado Avalanche from 95 to 2004. Then with the Columbus Blue Jackets from 2005 to 2008. And then he returned to the Avalanche from 2008 to 2011. I think he wore it his entire season. His entire season. His entire storied career. He has 308 points, 66 goals, 242 assists in 1154 games. He was one of the leaders for the Avalanche when they won the Stanley Cup in 1996 and 2001. Foote provided size, standing with a stature of 6'2", 220 pounds. Toughness with 1,500 career penalty minutes and stability as a stay-at-home defenseman. During Colorado's championship run in 2001, Foote was logging 28 minutes per game, with Ray Bork and Rob Blake both donning over 28 minutes each in their postseason that year, while other defensemen were only averaging 16.5 minutes per game. Foot is the only player in Nordique and Avalanche history to ever wear number 52. I'm not sure if that's still true. That was Maybe this was written a couple years ago. But he is now the head coach of the Kelowna Rockets. A pretty fucking nasty junior franchise in the Western Hockey League. Would be a great place to play. Kelowna, beautiful lake town. You should try it. Um, if we're talking about the NBA, uh, NBA, talking about the MLB, we're talking about CC Sabathia. What a big motherfucking body he was. Six foot six, 300 pounds of pure finesse on that mound. He had 251 wins in his career, an ERA of 374. He had 3,093 strikeouts and a whip of 1.259. <clears throat> Six-time All-Star, World Series champion, Cy Young Award winner, and an ALCS MVP. Not a bad fucking career. I believe he played like 19 years. He was fun to watch. He was always one of my favorites growing up. And like he's like, you know, people love to just give 
people, I feel like if you don't watch baseball, your natural instincts be like, oh, well, yeah, give a guy a million dollars to throw a fucking, shut up. But this guy was a big, fat fucking body on the mound, and I loved it. He he hurled that ball. Fun to watch. Um, best known for me as a Yankee, but I didn't realize he only got to the Yankees in 2009. Kind of a late start in his career. But he played a couple good years for the Cleveland Indians as well. But what a fucking player. Folks, welcome back to the program. We like to get our statistics out of the way there. I think that's a good party trick. You know, you're talking numbers. All of a sudden, you'll have a little face of the name. I'm a big... I, I like the numbers, okay? So that's what we fucking do. Um, it's been tough. Um, I, I love my apartment here in Fayetteville, but uh, there's some things about it that are a little fucking different. Um, for example, we have a washer dryer in our apartment, which is huge. Um, I've been very spoiled. I've lived a lot of places uh, since I've moved out of home. Never had to do the laundromat thing. So I, I've been I've been lucky. Knock on wood. Hopefully those days never come. But there, you know, we got a washer and dryer in here. But the weird thing is, it's in the master bedroom. So I don't know if they were thinking like that was going to be where the parents were going to live. If this was like a family home, we have a three bedroom apartment here. I have two roommates, two other guys that play on my team here. And um, the master bedroom goes to the guy with the most games played. My roommate Tanner, most games played. That's his fucking room. But he's got the laundry, the laundry uh, washer, dryer in there. And that's no problem. Like, you know, um, me and Tanner, really good, you know, good buddies. Played together before this season. Even I knew him prior. But it's not the problem, you know. If you need to go do a load, you just ask him when you go and do it. But he had his girlfriend up for a couple weeks. And she was working from home. Um, had a little office set up with a desk in their room. So then I'm not wanting to go in there basically because she's in there to begin with. And then you add in the stay-at-home work factor. Like I was pushing my limits when it comes to laundry. Like really testing the depth of the wardrobe, if you know what I mean. And when you get down to like your last pair of boxers, like I don't know what it's like for you guys. Like I have like a, there's like a pecking order. Like when stuff's all clean, like, you know, you're wearing usually your best stuff first that's cleanest. But when you get down to the bottom of the line, and you have no other options, and you're wearing a pair of skivvies from maybe like eight or nine years ago, that's how dark it gets in the bottom of my wardrobe, you know, it gets, it gets really tough, have you ever been there, when you're really fucking testing yourself, at, at the edge of your fucking wardrobe, and I, I cannot reiterate the fact that I moved down here to Fayetteville, and I packed like I was moving down here for a, a weekend away at the cottage, I brought like nothing, my wardrobe is hysterical. My girlfriend could go home. She'd probably look in the closet. Wouldn't even know I'd fucking left. It's uh, it's kind of, it's not bad. Like I find you kind of get into like a uniform anyways. You know, you keep your laundry clean. You don't need, you don't need to fucking do it. You know, you don't need a million clothes. It keeps you a little more organized. It's easier to keep track of things. Makes me think when I go home, maybe I'm just going to pitch all this shit to the dirt. But I'm very lucky to have the fucking washer and dryer right in the house. I did have a place the first ever place I lived with, on, I lived on my own in university, you know, not having a billet in junior because, you know, I, I'd lived away from home before that. But I was about 21 years old. I moved into this place in North Bay, Ontario, and it had a fucking coin-operated laundry machine in our basement. So, like, this was right next to my room, but I had to throw a loony in it to do a load, washer and dryer. It was absolutely absurd. I don't know if I've ever heard of that anywhere else. Maybe it's common. Certainly wasn't for me. And this, like... I've been pretty lucky in the landlord situation. Luckily right now, like I don't have to deal with the landlords, the apartments, that's stuff's all kind of taken care of, but I've been, I've been quite lucky. Like landlords are always a little psychotic, but I, I got into the landlord game and learning how to deal with them with quite the fucking bird. We'll say 
she was quite interesting. That coin-operated laundry, we had like cameras that were pointing at the at the laundry machine nonstop, and they were just running. I guess she'd had prior tenants who had like found a way to fucking put their loony in and steal it back. Impressive, but I wasn't I wasn't going to be going through that much trouble. But she was like. It was one of these really weird houses. And it was kind of a weird instance for me because I'm moving in. I was moving in to North Bay not knowing anyone. I had one buddy named Adam who was, uh, I played junior hockey with the year before. And he was coming down to school, but he was going to go live in residence. And I was coming into school at 21 having no part of wanting to live in fucking residence. Like that was just, there was just no chance I was doing it. So. My one, I guess, in, I thought, as a roommate is out the door. And then I get a message from a guy who'd already been there. He'd already been at at school there the year before. He was going into his sophomore year, I guess you call it. People in Canada don't really refer to that shit in college as sophomore, junior, senior, and all that shit. We just say we're in school. But he was going into his second year of uni, and he messages me, and he's like, hey, like, you want to live together? And I was like, oh, this is sweet because I need someone from the team to live with. I didn't really have any ins. But then I'm like in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, should this be a red flag? Why is this guy reaching out who's already played there with no other prospects himself for roommates? Is this guy a fucking loser? That was kind of my first concern. Just joking. But when you look back at it, maybe it should have been what was going through my fucking head. But anyway, so I link up with this guy, my, my future roommate. He's actually a guest on this show even too. Maybe like episode seven, he was a guest on this show. And he's doing the majority of the looking. I don't think I even looked at a single place. He was taking care of the place we were going to find. He finds us a fully furnished basement suite. So we thought. So a couple of weeks go by after we're looking at places. My buddy who originally wanted to go into residence, he wants to come now live with us. So we're like, we were looking for a roommate to fill out this basement suite. It was a three bedroom place. And um, we ended up finding my buddy Adam who was going to residence, comes down and lives with us. And we're under the impression that it's just like a, you know, it's a basement. It's fully furnished. We don't, we're all from out of town. We don't need to look for shit. Great. Great. We fucking move in there. We found out right away. It's just a wide open house, which wouldn't really be a problem. But that means now there's the prospect of three roommates upstairs, three randoms who are going to be picked by whoever is trying to rent from this tenant. So that's terrifying. But then we also found out that we had a basement, yes, but our, we didn't have a full kitchen. We had like one of those phony kitchenettes where you have a sink and a fridge and a table and a counter, but there's no stove, there's no oven, there's none of that shit. So all the cooking has to be done upstairs. So I got into town a little bit earlier and I'm a little bit nervous that like who are my roommates going to be? Like I'm, I'm enjoying my time there a few weeks early, getting up there for hockey and stuff. And I'm like, you know, cooking, I'm upstairs, I'm spending time up there. And then I'm like, now these people are going to be fucking moving in. And because school's starting in the next couple of weeks, what the fuck's going to be happening? Ended up getting really, really lucky. Two guys moved in, um, a really nice guy from Sudbury, firefighter, one of those woods firefighters, outdoorsman. You know, he's out there doing the, the forest firefighting in the summers, which pays really well. Met a lot of guys in Ontario who did that in the summer. Sounded like a sick gig. But he was from Sudbury. He was a forest firefighter going to school, looking to get a degree with the hopes of one day becoming a structural firefighter. And then we uh, lived with another lad. He was from Cobden, Ontario. And he was up there doing, um, he was getting a little certificate from the college. I forget what he was even up there for, but ended up lucking out. We had two really awesome fucking guys that lived with us. And then for some reason, this other room upstairs was just empty. 
until Christmas of that year. So until Christmas rolls around, we start kicking along with the boys upstairs. We start hanging out with them. We start spending time upstairs. Like upstairs becomes the TV room. It's just best case. But then we, again, we always know that there's this empty room and it's kind of like in the back of our head, like, I wonder if they're going to fill this room. Like, it's not just going to sit here empty if she can be collecting rent from someone. So what has happened, we eventually, around Christmas time, a random girl moves in. Just this random girl. And, like, I'm assuming she knew that it was, like, five random guys living in this house. She moves in with us. She's a couple years younger than me because I was in my first year of school. But, like I said, I'm coming into school after junior hockey. And um, we're fucking – so she's probably, like, 18, 19. I'm 21. Uh, all the guys in the house were like 21 and older. One of our roommates was 22 at the time. We weren't a very old crew, but this girl moves in. She turns out to be a very nice girl. She was from a couple hours south on the way to Ottawa, I believe, from North Bay, that route. But she was seen, She turned out to be a nice girl, a little awkward, um, didn't really come from the same circles. But she was you know, nice to have around, and you know, we di- didn't really change our situation that much. But then there'd be times when I'd like... Like, weird shit that would only be happening at this day and age started happening. Like, my one roommate that lived upstairs was a smoker. And I don't know why I've just always been so enthused with smokers. I've had people that smoked in my family in the past. And just the aspect of, like, you know, your morning starts on a weekend. It's a day off. And, you know, you're having your coffee. And you got to step outside and have a dart. Like, I thought it was hilarious. Like, you know, how, how often these people have to go outdoors and brave the fucking elements, especially in a place like Canada. So I'd always be out there standing there with them and watch them stand outside my body as a cigarette and I'm standing there we're out there on the front step and I've got my back to the to the to the door the front the front door of the house and like I thought it was just us home or just us awake at the time like no one's really else is kicking around the house it's probably like 10 a.m on a Sunday people were probably out late the night before people are sleeping in and then I'm just standing there back like literally leaning against the fucking door and then all of a sudden, the door just comes open from behind me and I'm leaning against it. And I almost fucking fall right back on my ass, turn around. There's some random dude staring back at me like surprised, like, oh shit, sorry, man. Like, I didn't know you were there. And then I'm kind of laughing. I'm like, yeah, well, I didn't fucking know you were there either. Kind of like, what's going on? And then he looks at me and he realizes like my surprise and he can see my roommate behind me who's another fucking huge dude. We're both kind of like confused. Like, who's this guy coming out of our fucking house? And then he's kind of like gets awkward because you can say you can see in his eyes that he knows like why we're confused because he knows that we don't know he was there. But like, like I could tell he wasn't malicious in any way. And then he tries to explain it. And he just kind of goes, Holly. We're like, oh, he's in there to see Holly. I don't know if it was some sort of a late night date, maybe some sort of an online application meetup. But then that sort of thing would sort of occasionally happen. We'd be like sitting on a Sunday, like watching fucking TV. That's usually a Sunday is when you get most of the people in the same spot, not really going anywhere. Everyone's just chilling before the start of the week. And we'd just see these guys doing these walk of shames. And it was an extremely, extremely awkward altercation to have to deal with because then girl, go do you girl. You can do whatever you want to do. But then when she comes out and has to live the rest of her day and then I'm just sitting there and it's just like, we don't talk about it, but it's like, do you address it? Is it worse if you don't talk about it? Because I, I never knew what the fuck to do. But I loved living in this house because it, when you live with people, like you really learn a lot about them. And then this was a great aspect to live with a lot of different people. 
put yourself in different situations. They had their friends coming over on the weekends. We ended up having a really good fucking time, except for a crazy landlord who would storm in unannounced and one time tried to show up at a party we had. Like she was, she was kind of a fucking nuisance. It was one of those half houses, like a duplex, you know, split right in the middle. Both shared the front yard. We all had our own driveways, but it was one of those things where like the driveway was shared with the the house next door. So you had a big driveway, but you all had to park single file. And this is actually going to put me onto a really good story. It's one of these stories that it's like a, what would you do? What would you do in this situation? Because this, this happened to me and I didn't know what the fuck to do. So I'm going to tell you this to you and think about what would happen in your shoes and how you would react. Ah, Sorry, hydration. So like I said, we, um, roommate, roommates, I think all of them had a car except like one. So we had literally there was uh, the five of us. So there's one, two, there's five cars. Um, the girl upstairs didn't have one. Adam downstairs didn't have one. So there's six of us, four cars, sorry. But then in case some of the people, like some guys had girlfriends, they'd be over, you know, there's a lot of cars in the driveway at all times. And you'd have to park single file in the driveway to get them all to fit in. And North Bay being one of those towns in the winter where the fucking snow can pile up twice the size of your goddamn fucking head, you have to have this, the cars in the driveway. They can't be in the road because the plows are going in the winter nightly get the snow off because it's dumping loads every night. So we have to get the cars all in a single file line in the, in the driveway. And it got to the point where you're not all going to be awake in the morning. Some guys have morning class. Some people have um, whatever, early morning practice, whatever. And um, for the most part, we would try to set it up the night before and make sure that the right people were at the back of the driveway so we could all get out and we'd be organized. But sometimes it wasn't always, you know, it couldn't always happen that way. So what we would do was we would always leave our keys at the door in like a little dish by the front there so that if someone needed to move someone's car to get out to an early morning class, they would be able to do so. So that was what would happen all the fucking time. It was no problem. And um, I mean, I'm sure that's what every house did. Like the, the house right next to us, they had the same situation. Bunch of roommates, bunch of cars, same size of driveway as us. They had to, they had to park in like a, a single file line just like we did. But one morning, I get a message from some girl on Facebook, get a message request. I open it and it's, I uh, forget her name, but she's going yada, yada, yada. Uh, hi, this is really awkward. But um, this morning I noticed um, from my kitchen window, um, your roommate Sam was shuffling the cars around in your driveway and he accidentally nicked my car with your truck when he was pulling out of your driveway. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, like that sucks. Like, thanks for letting me know. Like, uh, I'll talk to Sam and uh, let me know if there's any damage or anything like that. And um, thought nothing really of it. Later that day, she messages us back and she's like, yeah, there's un- unfortunately, there is some, there's some severe damage. There's some real damage from this nick that's happened in our driveway. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So we go out and we look at it the next day. Me and my roommate, Sam, I get him to come out with me. We uh, talk to the girl in the driveway. She shows us her car. She's driving a legitimate 1986 shit box on wheels. Like this was this was not a nice vehicle. And she starts pointing at this back. Uh, it was like driver's side back wheel well, kind of near the bumper there, like that part of the car, the back corner there. And she's pointing at this like a uh, little bit of a dent and a piece of chrome coming off like the edging of her wheel well. 
And I'm looking at it, and, I, and I'm looking at her car, like, up and down. Like, the whole thing's battered and bruised. It looks like a pile of hell. Like, it was, like, rust-colored red. It didn't look good. Like, there was multiple dings and, di- like, dings and dents in this thing, and she's pointing at this one in particular. And, again, like, I'm not there. It's hers words against mine. Sam, my roommate, says that it was so early in the morning that it was, like, a really frosty day, the one she was talking about. He didn't have time to clear out my... my uh, windshield that and he probably had the tunes up he said he didn't even know it happened so then again it's like her her word against ours but now i'm looking at this dent and i'm like sweetie that could have been there since 1996 like how do i know this is fresh and she's pointing at it and then i'm like kind of like to sound like well fuck man like what do we say and then like i was kind of like okay well she's like i'm gonna go get a quote and see how much it's gonna be to get fixed and then we'll let you know and i'm like okay so she goes and tells us how much it's gonna be to get fixed um then she tells us that her dad of course is like some sort of a mechanic and he'll be able to do it for cheaper but my dad now she she messages later now she says her dad says it's going to be fucking like 700 some dollars and i'm like okay well i'm like tell sam i go and tell sam i'm like hey like um it's going to be 700 some bucks she thinks and then my roommate sam's just fucking jaw hits the floor and he says back to her like no like why don't we do like can we do it there's got to be a cheaper way. Like, we're going to figure this out. We're like, what are we going to do here? And then, so then she, I tell her this. And then he, she th- starts thinking that we're being difficult. And she messages me back and she says, well, Harrison, like, I understand that this is a bit of an awkward situation, but this is your truck. And it's at the end of the day, if Sam doesn't want to put up the money, it's, it's, it's up to you. And in my head, I'm like, are you fucking crazy? I don't know if that makes me legally liable because of what she said was true. I don't know if it's true, but she's fucking lost if she thinks I'm fucking spending a cent on towards hers fucking car dent on an eight, 1986 shit wheel that could have been done um, fucking 12, literally 12 years prior. If she thinks she could get a cent from me, she's lost. I was asleep in my bed not even knowing my truck was on the move. Okay? No chance. So then I'm, I basically tell her like, okay, like, I'm not paying for this, but like, I'm going to talk to Sam. And then anyways, of course I talked to Sam. Sam does want, wants nothing to do about it. Kind of just brushes under the rug. A couple weeks go by. I kind of fucking forget about it, honestly. And then she messages me and just kind of like a really rude messages basically just says like, you guys are being ridiculous. I've gotten it figured out. I don't want to hear from either of you again. And I was just kind of like, should I feel bad at all in any way? Seeing as I've done absolutely nothing. Like, what, what does one do in that? What would you have done in that in my situation? Like, was it my fault? Was I at fault because my truck got moved out of my driveway? I guess with my consent, but without my knowledge. And this girl, my, my roommate who does it, doesn't even know he does it. And then it's all he says, she says, who knows who did what? Like, what the fuck do you do? It was a very, very odd situation. I think, but it was a learning situation of how to deal with people. I'm very fortunate that I've lived in a, like multiple hilarious places with many different roommates. I'd love to make a tally up of all the people I've lived with already in my life. People that I've called roommates. It's, it's quite the list. I bet you'd be up over 15. Once you start living with someone, that's when you, I feel like you really get to fucking know them, you know? Something that's really been bothering me lately, and this is so random. I don't know. Like it just pops into my head like a jolt of lightning. And it actually, it just makes me actually laugh. I don't understand it at all. It's like, you know when people are always like, people love wearing Carhartt clothing. 
until it's time to do Carhartt shit. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Is there anything more hilarious than a bunch of rednecks getting literally defensive over a brand of clothing that is supposed to be deemed their own? I feel like blue-collar people, like, respect them, have done a lot of work in that area myself in, in some ways, but blue-collar people love to forget that the other two-thirds of the world don't know they fucking exist and don't know their importance at all. And I, honestly, at the end of the day, it's like, if you're so happy with your fucking Carhartt, you should be fired up that it's getting some, like, mainstream publicity. It's getting, like, Carhartt stock must be running high. It's a hot commodity right now. I love how a Carhartt, like, a guy, especially, like, a, for men, if you're a guy in the winter and, like, you're covering up your hair with a Carhartt toque, I don't know if you're a poetry reader at a local coffee shop. I don't know if you're hung over from drinking 48 beers the night before and then you've come out to your manual labor job the next day, not had breakfast, and only kept yourself going by energy drinks and gas station food. I don't know if you're just an, an honest dad who works outdoors and maybe is a rancher, maybe some sort of a farmhand. You, when you see Carhartt now, it's kind of like roll the fucking dice because like this guy could be a film major... Maybe he was just driving the combine for Grampy this morning. But Grampy, you don't know. But either it just what at the end of the day, shut the fuck up. Go wear whatever the fuck you want. De- definitely, definitely don't be complaining about who's wearing your Carhartt, your fucking work shorts, the shorts you shit your pants in six days of the fucking week. It's not good. Went to a strip club here down here in North Carolina. Extremely, extremely different from the Canadian scene. I mean, I'm not a huge strip club guy, but I've lived in some rural towns and some small, some smaller places where sometimes a strip club might be the only place you can go for a little bit of fun in, in a cold beverage. But the, the rules are, are, are completely different in North Carolina. We're walking in, big group of my friends, and my buddy has Lululemon like joggers on, like fucking ninety percent of the men I feel like in the world these days are wearing. He's wearing a totally normal pant. Security guard stops him, abrupt stop, halt. You can't go in with those. He's like, what? Those pants? He's like, they need a zipper, they need buttons, um, they need to have um, seams. You ain't going anywhere with these uh, these uh, these sweatpants on, pal. So what does he do? He sells him $35 pants at the door. Strip club pants. Like way too big. Like a 40 inch waist. 36 inch inseam. The guy, he had to roll them like eight times. Not, happened to another, another one of my friends too at the bar. Two of my buddies are wearing strip club pants. I almost wanted to get a pair myself. Could you imagine having to wear strip club pants? It was fucking hilarious. You put, they put one of them on there. They look 20 years older immediately. It was so fucking hilarious to watch. But could you imagine strip club pants? Strip clubs are very fascinating places to me. In the States, it's very weird. The difference between that and the States is they don't take their bottoms off. In the States, they get topless. They do that, but no bottoms are coming off. It's a little different. A little bit different scene. A lot more strict. In Canada, there's a little bit more free movement going on. They're definitely way better in Canada. 
Like, I just, I don't, I've never been a huge strip club guy. Like, just, could you imagine just going and throwing all your money at, at a girl just to, just to look at her? All this, and they, and they ain't cheap. They are not cheap. And they do shady, shady, shady things. Like, dance through two songs if you go in the back room, and all of a sudden, oh my God, no, it's 40, not 20. They do dumb shit like that, and you gotta watch them. It's a good place to lose some money. Good place to have a laugh, though. I find, to be honest, girls like the strip club more than men, for sure. Girls are way more into it. Like, my girlfriend loves the strip club. I don't even want to go. She's the one dragging me into the fucking strip club. It's kind of tough. And, folks, this is another random thought that just jolts in my head, too. But this is something that really we need to talk. We need to talk to the women in our life. And we need to talk to them right now about something fucking serious. And that's lip fillers. Have you ever seen a single woman ever in the history of women, women kind will say, that has ever gotten their lips done and they've looked better? I, I unfortunately, people in my own life that I you know not really close with, but you know, you might see a picture on social media and you'll be like, what's different with them? And you'll be like, oh no, it's definitely the lips. And again, I don't know if this is sometimes filters on um, Instagram, the, the, the stories, the lenses, you call them, but the lips got to go. Saw a lot of talk. People loved the look of uh, Sarah Cameron on um, Outer Banks. People are always talking about her lips. I never hear people, I hear women talk about lips. I don't hear guys talk about lips. It's always girls talking about their fucking lips. Everyone's talking about her lips. That girl looked like she got stung by a bee. And everyone's talking about her her dreamy lips. That's too much. I think the second you get worked on your face, it's very evident. Like you look like you look scary. You look like wax doll scary. And that the second you get that work done, you I guarantee you, you look worse than you did. I just maybe that's just my opinion, but I, it, you can't tell me I'm wrong in most cases. I see girls that I knew um, from my early twenties five, six years ago that I might have worked with at restaurants and stuff like that. Beautiful women, beautiful, good-looking young girls who have really gifts, honestly. Because some people are just born and it's lucky they look the way they do because could make their life easier. But some of these people are gifted with the way that they look. And now these girls have gotten work done and you see them, at the, they're in their late 20s and they already look like it just it's, it hasn't paid off. They're not aging well with the work. The work doesn't do any favors. I'm getting extremely off topic for this podcast, but I like to honestly think that sometimes I'm not a fashionista. I don't think I dress myself well. I think that is, once I'm done hockey and get some little bit more money in my life, I will try to dress better and get some of these nine, eight to nine-year-old t-shirts out of my closet. But until then, I'm dressing quite poor, we'll be honest. But I think that I have very good taste in how to dress women. And I think that some women could honestly take advice from me fashionly. Fashionly, is that a word? They could take fashion advice from me. I could have tips on how to make them look very good and in multiple different situations. Some people, I just don't like, like don't wear a crop top to Christmas this year. It don't Your family Christmas, you don't need to be wearing a crop top. It might be a majority of your wardrobe due to your fashion senses at the moment, but that that might be what you like to look good in at the moment, but that's not what you, we wear to Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner is a traditional time. I don't think it is a time to be making fashion 
a progressive fashion move. I think it's when you stick to the staples that you know will work. For men, that's a a nice shirt, nice pant, conservative shoe, maybe a tuck-in, maybe not, because you tuck your shirt on at Christmas, you've never done that in your life, you stick out like a fucking sore thumb, and you don't want that. Folks, Christmas is here. I can't believe it's December 12th. It's really hard to feel like Christmas when there's no snow on the ground. Very spoiled growing up in Canada because every year at Christmas, like it's a winter wonderland. It's very easy to get in the season. Christmas is that time of the year where you're always bitching. It doesn't feel like Christmas yet. It doesn't feel like it. Do you feel like it's Christmas yet? Well, no, maybe we should watch some because I don't, why don't I feel like it? I don't feel like I did when I was a little kid anymore. Don't burn out your magic, motherfuckers. It's a very magical time of year. Time of year to take serious, to be joyous with those around you. I am, a, I'm going home for Christmas. I'm trying to get home from the 23rd to the 20, no, the 24th to the 27th. So very short little stint there. Trying to keep my eyes on the fucking uh, news because, you know, especially when Canada's involved, there could be a two, three regulations uh, brought in a, a day. So you got to keep your, you got to keep your head in a swivel here and you got to be ready for it. I'm flying out on Christmas Eve. Um, flying out alone, obviously traveling alone. Christmas Eve being probably the busiest day for an airport in the year in a pandemic when people are starting to travel more and there hasn't been as much traffic in airports as as of late. I'm into one. And my track record, I, I've missed a lot of flights in my career as a flyer. And um, I do, this can't be one. I can't be missing a flight on Christmas Eve knock on wood and fucking having to fly in the next day because I've missed I've had flights get canceled on Christmas break before and I've missed the whole day of my holiday when I was only going home for like six days that sucks this can't happen I'm flying from Fayetteville to Atlanta to Detroit so three airports I'll be involved in that I've never been in and uh, my luck is I'll have a gate um, at one end of the airport in Atlanta and then my connecting flight will be all at the other side and uh, I'm assuming my luggage will be lost, so no, I can't be bringing a, can't be checking a bag in. You got to make these decisions, and you got to make them right. You got to play the field the right way. You got to be realistic. Your layover is too tight. You're, you, they're gonna lose your luggage. I've had so much luggage lost on Christmas breaks, where you get home and you, and you, and you have to wear the the clothes you wore on the fucking plane, where a guy just shit his pants the flight before, and you had to sit in it, and. I just find there's no worse feeling. Like when you go fly, I want to burn those clothes in a fire. I don't want to wear those clothes ever fucking again. They should be burnt. So when you lose your luggage at Christmas time and you got to go home and wear that for the next three days, it's tough and you don't want that to happen. So I guess what I'm asking for from the flight gods is that please don't let this happen. But either or, there should be episodes before that. I'm not sure if I'll take my mic home. I probably won't. Like, it's the time of the year that nobody wants to fucking hear from me, I'm assuming. And it's also the time of the year that nobody gives a fuck. And then if I'm talking Christmas shit on that episode, because maybe it's the day before, maybe it's during, whatever, and it's after Christmas, you're not going to want to listen to a Christmas episode after that. So, yeah. But um, uh, this week, I don't know why this is only getting out Sunday. Last week, I ended up going on a a guy's podcast. Uh, I went on the Inside the SPHL podcast, the nice guy, the host there, James, 
Uh, I went on there, told some stories that I've told on this podcast that I probably shouldn't have told on that show. But it's just like we got to be honest here for that podcast inside the SPHL. Like I, I every time I see that they have a guest on a kid that also plays in this league, like myself, I laugh because I'm like, could you imagine that interview, man? Like we're we're interviewing like another kid who went to some school that no one's heard of that now plays in a fucking league that no one's heard of for a team that no one's heard of. And then he's literally talking about his season like people give a fuck. He'll be like, yeah, well, you know, we have a good group of guys in the room and uh, we're just trying to gel together here. We're just trying to create something. And, you know, it's obviously, you know, we gel together now. And then, you know, you get something rolling by the time, you know, April rolls around and playoffs come near. You know, you have that uh, formula and you're ready to go when it's crunch time and make something happen. Like, it's all the same shit. I, I, could you, you could hear that, you could hear that fucking interview. And the next day, think back to it, and it you probably wouldn't even remember. You wouldn't have anything to say. You'd be like, I've ret- I gained nothing from that interview. So not that anyone gained a fucking thing from mine, but I at least wanted to go on there and at least tell some stories, have some fun, not take it too seriously. Nobody wants to hear about how I tape my fucking stick to go off the glass and out and get two assists a season. Like, people don't give a fuck. And I think a lot of people forget that. The It's so easy to make podcasts so easy to make this shit and I find I I love people that make podcasts like I'm a fucking loser trying to make one myself I talk to myself in my fucking closet okay don't have to judge me I'm fucking I judge myself but a lot of people are creating shows it's like let's create something that's already been done let's create a sports talk show and we'll regurgitate news that we could hear everywhere else like I get it you have you have to have a topic you have to have a subject and you have to pursue that but so many shows are like Let's do something that's already being done on every platform available, but let's do it our way. Let's fucking do it. And I'm, you know, I'm assuming that everything I say probably been done too, but at least I try, I try to think I do it in my own little way. I try to be a little bit unique. It's tough. It's tough. Gary fucking Vaynerchuk says you're supposed to have 64 pieces of content a day. That's what he's preaching now. 64 pieces of content a day. Who the fuck is doing that? Six, who's up for you're up for 12 hours a day 64 divided what how many things are you putting up an hour it takes me about 40 minutes to make one post for these episodes and i do that once a week and i think 13 14 maybe 15 people see them my promotion for this podcast is next to, to zero but maybe that's what i'll work for in 2022 that'll be my new year's resolution is to fucking figure this shit out that'll be my new year's resolution be a better just be better be a better podcaster, folks. I uh, <clears throat> it's Sunday, Great Cup Sunday, so I gotta hang this up and watch the fucking game. Watch this, watch a championship game that gets no credit anymore. No one talks about the CFL. It makes me sick. We should be banding around it like it's a fucking treasure, the best three down football in the land. That's what we should be talking about it like, not like it's a fucking peasant show, which everyone seems to think it is. Twenty years, CFL will be an absolute, will be in the abyss. It won't even exist because no one cares about it. We have to save it. I'm going to go watch it right now, okay? Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Hamilton Ticats, the 108th Grey Cup. It's going to be fucking magical. It's going to be magical. Folks, thank you so much for being a part of this. I'm going to try to do an episode maybe this week. Uh, i got a road trip leaving Thursday. So maybe I'll get a quick one out in the next couple of days. We'll talk. Maybe I'll have a guest. Maybe we'll do something fun. Maybe we won't, okay? Maybe go fuck yourself, okay? Maybe that'll work too, okay? We'll talk to you very soon. I love you. Thank you so much for listening to this show. This is episode number 52 of The Project. Bye.